Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acne. And we are so lucky to be here with our first sex therapist. Carly. Hey everyone, it's hey, Carly, Carly here. So I'm a, um, actually a licensed sex and relationship therapist going for a doctorate in clinical sex therapy. So kind of like Dr. Ruth. I'm actually not even sure if she has her doctorate in sex therapy. Wait, why do I know Dr. Ruth? Dr. She Ruth. Have, she had like a She's show. She's like Dr. Ruth. Like she had oh, this. And like, yeah. I don't know why I just went into like a full blown Russian accent. Isn't she Russian? She might be, but I don't think she sounds like that. Mm. She has like a very distinct voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's great. And we like, she, she was. She set. She was a pioneer in in you know the industry of sex therapy. She really set the tone. Did she inspire you to become a sex therapist? Um, she's one of the people who did for sure. I think for me, I knew, always wanted to be a sex therapist. My mom was like, "No, you're going to deal with wrinkly balls and scary old men." And I was like, <laughs> "Wow, okay, maybe that's a good point." And I'm not right. sure if I want to, but I was like, "Wait, hold on, what the fuck? Like, mm-hmm. I'm actually not going to be dealing with wrinkly balls at all because as a sex therapist, you don't deal with balls. Like, right. they have them, people have them, but like, I have nothing to do." Them. Right, you just talk to them about them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, tell me about your balls. So what was your biggest, would you say, influence? Uh, or like this, if there's a particular story that got you into it or wanting to become a sex therapist. So like what made me be a sex therapist? Mm-hmm. So um, it's actually the first time I'm ever saying this, so that's pretty cool. Oh, um, cool. Kudos to that. you. Um, I had a really terrible relationship when I was younger, okay. when I was like 14. And hashtag me too. Um, <laughs> and... That kind of relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like, for me, I'm, like, sweating. Um, it's okay. I sweat during every podcast, amazing. even though it sounds like I'm not. And, like, none of you can see that. Um, <laughs> but we're glistening over here. Uh-huh. So for me, I was in this terrible relationship. And, you know, when you're in those relationships at a younger age, it's like I got influenced to engage in, in certain sexual things at a younger age than I probably would have liked to or that, like, someday that I would let, that I then I would like my child you know, to in, to be active in, yeah. in sex. And so I didn't have siblings. I was an only child. And so for me, I was like, okay, I want to know what's going on. Like, I want to learn about my body. I want to know what I'm dealing with. And so I started reading about it. I was like, let me learn. Um, I don't want to learn from porn. I don't want to learn from magazines and movies. Like, I want to know what I'm actually dealing with. Right. So I started reading textbooks at my friends' like houses and wherever I can get my hands on them just mm-hmm. to learn. And then when all, all my other friends started to engage in sex and stuff, they would come to me and be like, hey, I know that you did this. Like, how do I give a blowjob? What does that right. mean? Do you right. know what I mean? Like, what's fingering supposed to feel like? Mm-hmm. Or why does it hurt me? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, X, Y, and Z, like... Um, 
you know, so-and-so is pressuring me to have sex. What am I going to say? And so... And that was from, like, 14? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I wish I had a friend like that at 14. Me too. We were all just, like, (laughs) fucking winging it. Yeah. Well, and I remember the first time I ever taught somebody how to give a blowjob. We were away on vacation with a group of girls, and she told me that she was interested in knowing. And so, like, and I taught her. And it's not, you know, when you... Sex is something that people make into such as, like slutty kind of thing but like right especially when you're young like that. yeah but, but that's like, when you need to know 100% and and if you stop and you think about it like the only reason anybody's sitting here listening to this podcast or standing or walking wherever you are <laughs> um, but the only reason I'm standing here is because two people had sex at some point in right. life March True. 1987 I was just gonna um, ask wait what specific day <laughs> I don't know what day I was conceived but it had to have no, been no no I mean um, oh, it was my like birthday. when's your birthday oh yeah. December 7th but I was oh, conceived you're yeah but I was conceived oh, you're in our March. first Sagittarius female. Am I? So mm-hmm. I'm a fucking lunatic. And I'm <laughs> I love Sag females, but a lot of people can't handle them. Yeah, no, we're a lot to handle. Mm-hmm. I think it's like if you can be secure in yourself, then you can. Then I think people are really comfortable and secure with handling a Sagittarius female. I, agree. I think when people are triggered by their own insecurities. I think, I think a Sagittarius in general actually is a little bit of a mirror to yourself. A little bit, and I think it's also super triggering. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it becomes something where. You know, we're so, I can only speak for myself, but I know that I'm super out there and kind of like, I am who I am. You take it, you leave it. My tagline used to be, just blow me. If you don't like it, just blow me. Like, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and it's just because. That's a plan, her last name. Yeah. Who doesn't know? It is. <laughs> Carly Blau, just blow me. Um, but yeah, I just, I. it's like, I am who I am and I'm right. not going to change that for anybody. Right. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing to do in life, but I also think that that's really frustrating for a lot of people who may be on that journey to accepting yeah. themselves yeah. and may not be as comfortable. That's very true. Okay. So loving yourself is is crucial and it's definitely like the fact like to have achieved that is is an amazing thing. A hundred percent. So kudos to you for that. Thanks. Yeah. I would actually say that that's like in my practice and what I do as a sex therapist. It's so interesting and I have to say this because so many people say to me like, what do you do as a sex therapist? Is it only about sex? Do you?" Right. And I wonder if you're curious about that. But yeah. so many people that have asked me about my job are curious of like, what is that? What does that mean? What do you do? And so a lot of it has to do with your sexuality and mm. who you are as a sexual being. And if you don't love yourself and your body physically, emotionally, and what it's capable of sexually, it's really hard to enjoy sex. Yeah. So my journey that I take with my clients is kind of just about understanding who you are as a person, how to love yourself, your pros, your cons, your strengths, your weaknesses, and then how can you apply that to your sexual functioning in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's so fascinating to see the way that they are so intertwined with one another. Yeah. That's really it's pretty cool. Do you think that girls who, like, you know how there's this whole, like, stigma that girls like being on top more? Yes. Do you think that girls who are not, like, comfortable with themselves, like, say that they don't like being on top, but, like, if they were, they would like it? You know what I mean? That's so interesting. I've, I had never thought about that. Um, I, that's a hard question to answer mm-hmm. because... It depends on their preference sexually. Mm -hmm. So sometimes somebody may feel insecure about certain aspects of their life, but sexually or 
well, hope, let me take that back. Mm-hmm. They may feel insecure about certain aspects of their life, like the way that they look or the way that they feel. Right. But they may use sex as a way to gain confidence. Now, I think that's wow. one of the most dangerous things you can do yeah. because you're manipulating the situation and you're using sex as a mechanism to feel good about yourself instead yeah. of feeling good about yourself first and then enjoying sex. Right. And so it becomes like a weapon. And so I think in that case, when you talk about being on top, I think sometimes we use it as a ploy to feel secure and a ploy to feel in control of our bodies. Mm -hmm. But in reality, you know, it's really covering up and masking something much deeper. That's really interesting. So going back to a little bit about you. So how old are you? I'm 29. Okay. And are you in a relationship? Are you married? Um, I am married. And how did you meet your husband? So Ryan and I met when we were at camp, when we were 10 and 11. So cute. He was crazy about me. To this day, I don't know why, because I'm out of my mind. Um, <laughs> but he likes crazy women, apparently. So, yeah, we met. Too. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's something sexy about being crazy. Yes. I think. Oh, well, I did a poll recently. Would you rather be crazy, called crazy or boring? And everyone said crazy. Absolutely. I'd be rather... I, I mean, plenty of men who I've dated in my life would definitely call me crazy. Yeah, me too. And they're still single. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's perfectly fine so with true. me. Hi, guys. Yeah, um, literally. <laughs> sorry, I'm not sorry. Sorry you're stalking us right now. <laughs> Bye. Um, but no, really, listen, because maybe you'll learn something. Truly. Um, so... Where do we meet? We met Camp, Tyler mm-hmm. Hill. Um, and then it's a whole long love story. Maybe I'll tell you another day. But you started dating after But we started school. dating afterwards. We dated on and off. We dated when we were 12 and 13. And then again at 17 and 18, he was my first orgasm. Pretty oh, cool. Oh, wow. Um, really I thought cool. I was dying. And that I was like, <laughs> I can't feel my feet. What's wrong? And he was laughing. I was like, this isn't funny. Like, I literally cannot feel my toes right now. And he was like, that's a good thing. You had an orgasm. I was like, what is that? Um, interesting. Um, it was pretty cute. And he was always that guy that like was super hot, but super nice. And like, that was not something that I ever came across. You were either really hot and a really big asshole or really, really nice. And then I wasn't. So true. But here's the thing. Nice guys. I want to make this clear. Like there's this stigma and I see this so much in my practice but like there's this there's this thought that like just because you're a nice guy doesn't mean you're gonna like be able to get a girl and or fuck a girl right like that you need to be a dick and I think that there's a major misconception there that needs to be talked about so guys if you're listening doesn't mean that you need to be an asshole and treat girls disrespectfully to get them to like you it really comes down to confidence Mm -hmm. and when I say the word confidence I mean that you are comfortable with yourself in every way, shape, and form. You're not faking it because it'll come out. Exactly. And if you own that, mm-hmm. that's sexy. So if you can be that and nice, you're like the best catch ever, aka oh. my husband, and why I married him. Because sure. he's super hot, super nice, and always was. But mm-hmm. he just was so... Um, he owned every part of him from as long as I've known him and was always straightforward and honest. Mm -hmm. And to me, there was nothing more sexy than that. That is really sexy. Mm -hmm. I hope everyone can find someone like that. Me too. For sure. So let's talk, let's help some girls out there um, and me. Let's do it. Um, What do girls need to know right now about safe sex? And like what, what are kind of the things that you've been hearing from most of your clients or patients Sure. Um, So safe sex. 
my number one rule, if you are not comfortable enough to look at his penis or her vagina, Mm. you should not be going inside any part of it or putting any part of it on you. Like, if you are not comfortable inspecting it and you are too nervous or, you know, like scared to get in there and take a look at whatever you're putting in your mouth, it probably shouldn't be going there. Agreed. And I think that that doesn't get said enough, right? Like, we have this pressure to kind of engage and have sex and to like be hot and to be wanted and to be good at giving blowjobs and like to be, you know, to know how to orgasm or whatever. And I just think that that's. I think that's kind of bullshit. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, why shouldn't you be safe? Why shouldn't you be checking out your body and your partner's body to make sure that you're taking care of yourself? Yeah. The other thing is, and I tell people this all the time. But how do you do that without being awkward about it? So I'll tell you a story. But I think, I'll tell, okay, so I'll tell you a story. So um, there was once this person who was hooking up with someone and they were giving a blowjob. And when they were giving a blowjob, they realized, like, in the middle of it that they felt something on their tongue. And it was like it probably may have not needed to be there or shouldn't mm. have been there. And they kind of were nervous about it. Like, this is weird. This shouldn't be there. Mm. So the person stopped and said, you know, can I um, – I hate to make things awkward right now, but right. I just need to be honest. Like, I felt something and it made me a little uncomfortable. I'm not trying to freak you out and I'm sorry for ruining the moment, but I'm just trying to be safe. Right. And in that moment, you know, when they told me the story, like, is it comfortable? No. Did it stop them from having sex? Absolutely not. Like, the blowjob continued after right. she checked out what it was, and it was an ingrown hair. Do right. you know what I mean? Like, from, like, if a guy shaves the base of the penis, like, yeah. or shaves your balls, like, sometimes you get ingrown hairs. So it's life, and that's just what happens. Right. But, you know, you, the person checked and, like, wanted to look and inspect to make sure that it wasn't Good anything. Good for that and guy just, for being able to get hard again after 100%. that. 100%. Honestly. But he wasn't the guy, as according to this person who told me the story, the guy wasn't worried about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. he knew that there was nothing there. He knew he had nothing. Right. And so he was just respecting the fact that his partner wanted to take care of her body. I, I love that. And yeah. I think, like, it's, it's like anything else in life. If you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. Mm. Period. Like, why do, why do people think that things are just going to be handed to you on silver platters? Right. Like, sex is not going to get handed to you. That's a huge thing that right. people need to think about. And, and not to segue into, like, relationship conversation, but mm-hmm. this is something for all guys and girls and however you identify to think about that, like, sex is something that takes work, dedication, and time. And it takes consistency. So, like, if you don't use it, you will lose it. Mm-hmm. And there's truth to that statement. Um, And I don't think people think about that. It's like, oh, I want it. Like, so many single girls out there are like, and guys, are like, oh, like, look how happy they look on Instagram. Like, they look so happy. Like, I found out recently some girl... Oh, they always look so happy. <laughs> oh, of course. But, like, my husband and I look happy. Do we have our issues? Who the right. hell does Right. Well, that's why these girls need to not say, oh, look how happy they are, and instead go out and get, make themselves happy. Correct. And meet someone and go have sex if that's what they want. Exactly. You know? Or make yourself happy first. But and then I, go out yes, and meet someone. But I will say I agree with you about, like, if you don't do it, you'll lose it. 100%. Because, and I don't know, like, I doubt that you, especially as a sex therapist, have gone, like, that long without having sex, especially having, like, your partner for a while. But I have gone a long time without having sex, and I remember it. And I don't want to say, like, the exact time 
because it's like it's very long. Sure. But <laughs> it was like I was like shocked like every day. I was like I still like I like can't I still- believe and like I couldn't do it. No. So I'll totally tell you this. So I have something called endometriosis. I actually mm-hmm. lecture with the Endometriosis Foundation of America and I teach girls about it because 1 in 10 women have endometriosis. What is it? Endometriosis is a Um, It's an inflammatory disease that basically is when you have cells that are similar to the lining of the uterus, but they're not the same, but they're similar to, and they they exist outside of the uterus. So Mm -hmm. basically they react to estrogen in the same way that your uterine lining reacts to estrogen, Mm -hmm. but the cells, it's like tissue and it grows outside of your uterus. So, and wherever it grows, it adheres to things. and so it adheres to things like your ovaries or your mm-hmm. uterus on the back of your uterus or your colon. And it can make sex really painful. Mm. So long story short, because I have endometriosis, it's not sexually transmitted. You can't get it from having sex with somebody. It's hereditary. Mm-hmm. One in 10 girls have it. If somebody in your family has it, it's likely that you do too. What are some signs that you would have it? Sure. So really, really, really painful periods. Like your periods are so painful that Tylenol doesn't really do anything for you. Um uh, really painful sex, which hint hint is even what with a with guy who doesn't have a big penis. Yep, doesn't matter how big his penis is, whether it's long, wide, whatever, it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. um, because wherever endometriosis tissue is present, it it attaches to like Velcro and then it causes inflammation. Can it develop but not stay? In some people? No. So once you have endometriosis, it's there and wherever it's adhered to, it's just going to keep growing and getting worse. Um, And so it's really important that if you think you have endometriosis, A, you can always reach out to me. Mm -hmm. I'll give you my information so we can give it to everybody listening um, to say that, you know, I think I might have endometriosis. What do I do about it? Because you can, there are birth controls you can take. There are surgical treatments that you can do. But But only women can have that. Correct. Um, Anybody with a uterus. Is there a male equivalent? No. Not that I know of. Mm -hmm. Um, But that leads me to, you know, talking about not having sex for a long time. Right. Because since I had endometriosis... You were nervous. Well, no. Sex... I I was having sex one day, and it was with my husband before he was my husband, and I got violently, violently ill. Like, I was in the bathroom, let's just say, the fact that he stayed with me after that is how I knew... The, that day I knew I was going to It was coming him. out of all places? Every place, and he was holding me up by my bun on my head. <laughs> I was like, you need to get out of the room. I'm so mortified. He's like, no, I'm not leaving you like this. I was like, I'm marrying you, and you don't even know that. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, you don't have a choice because you've seen way too much. So, yeah, I mean, I was super, super sick and in the most excruciating pain of my life. Had to have my second surgery, and we didn't have sex for about a year. Wow. And it was... A very, very, very difficult thing. I'm actually writing a book right now about that and what it's like to be a sex therapist who develops her own sexual dysfunction. And that's something called dyspareunia. Mm. Um, Dyspareunia is a sexual dysfunction in which someone has very painful intercourse. Mm. And that's actually a a sign and symptom of endometriosis. Yeah, I actually did a poll question once. Is it possible for for a girl to be too tight or something? Yes, it is. And like a lot of my guy friends were like, ah, no, like what a joke. But then there were some girls that DM'd me and they were like, yeah, actually, this is a big, like, condition. Or, like, one girl was like, I went to my gynecologist Mm -hmm. because, like, I was too tight. Like, my, like, something, her, like, 
vagina lips like weren't open fully or something so that like, that's one thing that can happen mm-hmm. that if your vaginal opening right or the hymen that's like that basically when they say like oh you're cherry popped like right that's not the technical term for it right mm-hmm. but like when your hymen doesn't break totally or it cannot be broken totally right. right through just using a tampon or normal activity and this is like as you're growing up you know and becoming sexually active sometimes it, if it, it will prohibit you from being able to be penetrated, Mm. um, which can make sex really painful. But when your vagina is actually too tight, it's something called vaginismus, Mm. which is a sexual dysfunction. And vaginismus is when the vagina muscles, your pelvic floor muscles and your vaginal muscles are way too tight. Mm. And so because of how tight the muscles are, nothing can penetrate. Mm. And so what we would do with a patient like that is there's something called, oh my God, I can't think of the name right now, dilators. Mm. So we give them all different size dilators where they... To like slowly open it? Yep. It's kind of like a little dildo, but they're not dildos. They're dilators and they're plastic and they come in all different sizes. So we start really small and over time we build up. So that's that. So about safe sex. So I always get into these little tangents. But I think another thing for everybody to know about safe Mm -hmm. sex. So A, if you're not comfortable seeing it or looking at it or inspecting it, like you shouldn't be doing it. Um, Two... You know, how often do you get tested? That's a conversation I have with many of my clients and patients. Um, and How often do you want them to get tested? I think if you're not in a monogamous relationship and you are single and you are having sex, whether it be protected or unprotected, I think every three to six months going for a routine checkup to get blood work done yeah, and to also get a pap smear, not, well, not a pap smear, but like a culture to test for gonorrhea and chlamydia, mm-hmm. I think is super important. And for guys too, like there's so much weight on girls being the one to get tested. And like, yep. that if a girl, sorry, I just burped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that if a girl, you know, if, a, if the girl says she's clean, then like, I don't need to go and get tested. But That's a good it's one. so common yeah. to see so many young individuals, I'm talking ages like 18 to 30 with chlamydia and gonorrhea and also HPV. And I think a lot of that is because those STDs often don't come with symptoms and 80% of people don't show a symptom at all. Right. So you can think about how many people, and, and there's also this crazy stigma Right, that like, oh, you're dirty, right. like you're a slut, or like, oh my god, like they don't have, like, I'm not sleeping with somebody who's like, I'm not sleeping with somebody who's trashy. I'm not sleeping with somebody from there. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what, what the, f- excuse my French, but like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, right. so because somebody comes from a certain place in a certain town or a certain background, like that means that they're dirtier than someone else. Like, that's just a bunch of yeah, bullshit. That's bullshit. I mean, that has to do with how you take care of yourself, mm-hmm. but like. I think what you said about girls needing to get tested more than guys is really interesting because like I remember I had a conversation with someone recently where they were like, I haven't been tested in a while. That's scary. But it wasn't like, I haven't been tested in a while. I'm going to get tested tomorrow, you know? Right. But like, it's like, get fucking tested, dude. Absolutely. Like, what are you waiting for? And so for me, like the conversation then becomes, what are you so afraid of? Because the the thing that people are afraid of, which I do respect and understand, is that you're afraid of something being told you're positive. Like, you're being... No one wants to be told, hey, you know, so-and-so, I'm sorry, but we got your test results back and they said that you're positive for chlamydia and HPV. Like, or, you know, gonorrhea and, you know, 
and, and something else. Or, you know, maybe you'll get lucky and you only get one thing. But, like... Let's educate people on sure. HPV. Because let's it's actually, it. like, relatively new. Sure. And... Or it's not new, but it's newly, um, like, a buzzword. Yes. And no one really knows what it is. Um, yep. Nobody understands how common it is. Oh, it's crazy. I think, it, isn't it just as common as, like, divorce? Or it's even like, more than that. Someone told me that at one point in everyone's life they'll get HPV. So, okay, let me give you the background notes on HPV. So HPV is called the human, human, the human, the kitchen. I'm back to being Dr. Ruth again. Okay, so, so there are, so when it comes to HPV, there are more than 40 different types of the virus. Um, There's actually much more than that, but only certain types of the virus can cause different types of cancers in both men and women, males and females. Um, so there's high risk HPV, which can cause different kinds of cancer. I'll tell you about that. And then there's also low risk HPV, which can cause genital warts. And you don't know which kind of HPV you have. But both are, can also not cause anything, right? Well, you either get high risk or low risk HPV. Like when you get tested for it and you get cultured for it, you're Mm -hmm. going to be told you have high risk HPV or low risk HPV or both. Like you will be told that. So you'll know if you're if you receive test results that you have high risk HPV, you want to make sure that you're going back for constant testing and monitoring. There's something called a colposcopy, which is a test done for females. I'm not sure if the testing done for men. Definitely something to ask all of your doctors and so normal and fine for you to ask. Um, but there is there is a test for men to find out? So that's a good question. So as of right now, we know that men get HPV. I don't know if they've developed a way for men to be tested yet. For some reason, I was under the impression that men carry HPV, but they don't have it. So in order for you to get tested for HPV, you have to have a cervical, like you have to have a pap smear, Mm -hmm. right? A pap smear is what tests it. A pap smear is essentially when they take that little cotton ball thing and they rub it on your cervix. Now, essentially, if you don't have a cervix, right, right, we can assume that you wouldn't be able to be tested positive for HPV. However, we're finding that men are having HPV. So the question then, and I'm not a doctor medical, like I'm I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm not sure of the answer to that, which leads me to doing more research later. Um, And I'll get back to you about that. You can share it with people. Yeah, no, it... It reminds me of, and I think we actually talked about this on the podcast before, Michael Douglas Mm. got mouth cancer or something like that from giving oral sex to um, a woman with oral sex on Mm -hmm. his wife Mm -hmm. who had HPV. Mm -hmm. So you can get all different kinds. So if you have the high risk HPV that causes cancer, you can get anything from anal cancer, um, cervical cancer, vulvar cancer, vaginal cancer, penile cancer, cancer of the throat, and the mouth. So, like, it's not something for you to not take seriously. However, it's also really important that you know that the majority of people are going to get it in their lifetime. Mm. And... That doesn't mean it's going to turn into anything. Exactly. So approximately right now, according to the CDC, 80 Mm -hmm. million American people, men and women, currently have HPV. We're talking 80 million people. That's a lot of fucking people. And 14 million become infected newly every year. Holy shit. So it's, you know, you, I would say three out of four women will get HPV at some point in their time. I'm not sure of the statistics for men. But right now I know that men can't get tested for it through obviously a pap smear because they don't have a cervix. Um, So what's a bigger risk to your health right now, HPV or herpes? That's a good question. Herpes is not a risk to your health. Herpes, Herpes sucks. But the stigma around herpes is so much worse than HPV. Okay, so hold on. And not only that, 
it's literally like weed and alcohol. Like, like weed is not that bad, but everyone thinks it is because their parents told them, oh my God, weed, get that weed out of the sure, house, but here's sure. a drink of wine. And for, in the same way that everyone herpes, oh my God, it's what mm-hmm. we've always heard of. It's mm-hmm. so, so bad. Get away from that person. He has herpes. But HPV is like, but here's a glass of HPV. Wait, but know? like here, I'm going to throw a wrench into this whole thing. Like here, yeah. here's what boggles my mind yeah. about the herpes stigma. Okay, like people have cold sores. For all of you who don't know this, listen up. Cold sores is herpes. Like yeah. if you know someone who gets cold sores, 94% of Americans or maybe even higher yep. get cold sores. I would say like eight out of ten. Does that people. include um, the ones in your mouth? What are they called? So canker sores. Canker sores. Canker sores are not. They're those are oral um, ulcers, basically. Mm-hmm. They're not considered herpes. But if you get any kind of you know blisters on the lips or like around the lips, that's cons- you know you have to get it cultured to be tested positive. But if it looks like a cold sore and it feels like a cold sore, it's a cold sore. You know, and a cold sore is herpes. And many people don't know this, that if you hook up with someone and you're making out and they are getting a cold sore. Mm. Okay. So like if I've never gotten a cold sore, so I'm not sure, but I know plenty of people who have and they're super common. So if you get cold sores, people say that you can feel it coming on. It kind of feels like that tingly, itchy kind of feeling underneath your lip. And then you feel that coming on. When you feel that coming on, but you haven't gotten the blister yet, you're already capable mm. of transmitting the infection. So if you were to go down on somebody before you get your blister, you could actually give them genital herpes. Oh my God. Yup. Hopefully everyone heard that. Yep. So let me repeat it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you are hooking up with someone and they get cold sores and let's say they may be feeling one coming on or if you're somebody who gets cold sores and you feel one coming on, abstain from all sexual contact of any kind because at that point you are already capable of transmitting the virus. Anytime, if you do get cold sores, like I'm sure we've all made out with somebody who gets cold sores. I've probably made out with people who get cold sores. And I don't get cold sores. So, like, I haven't gotten herpes, right? But, like, mm-hmm. it's not to say that I probably haven't hooked up with somebody in my life who gets cold sores, considering how common they are. Yeah. You know? But it's just really important that you have this information. So, if I were hooking up with a guy and yes. he was about to go down on me and I thought maybe there was a cold sore. Like, that he had a cold sore. Yeah. Sh- what would tell I him, say? Well, you shouldn't be making out with him. No, go, he's about to go down on me. Let's say we haven't made out in this weird world that I made up. Okay, so like things got really hot and heavy. He throws you up against a wall and he like lifts your skirt up and wants to put his face on your vagina. Exactly. Super hot fantasy on this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to go home. <laughs> um, go to the bathroom. Yeah, sorry. Give me two minutes. Um, but like let's say that was about to happen. Yes, theoretically he could transmit the herpes virus to you and you could get genital herpes from that. So wow. cold sores is, is is the herpes virus. And the only thing that makes it different from genital herpes, technically, is there's herpes simplex 1 and herpes simplex 2. We typically see herpes simplex 1 present orally, and that's where you have, like, one blister, and that's considered a cold sore. Hmm. Herpes simplex 2 presents more aggressively. So it tends to, like... It, it shows up as having more than one blister. Mm-hmm. And so that typically happens genitally, right? And that's right. the way that we used to look at it. But you can get 
herpes simplex 2 on your mouth and you can get herpes simplex 2 on your genitals. You can also get herpes simplex 1 on your mouth or herpes simplex 1 on your genitals. The only thing that makes a difference is the severity of the outbreak. Mm. Now, what do you need to know about herpes? If you get herpes, yeah, does it suck? It can suck. Mm -hmm. And half the battle is battling the stigma of it. Right. Right. Like, people have come to me in my private practice to discuss what it's like to be tested positive for herpes and to be dealing with it. And, like, how do you, you know, how do you function with that? What do I say? What do I tell my partners? Right? Like, do I tell my partners? And that's a big question that, you know, people want to know from a sex therapist. Do you tell them to tell? Um, I say that it's a, you know, I encourage people when it comes to sexually transmitted infections, whichever one it is, you disclose what you would want somebody to have the respect for you to disclose. Yeah. So if you were having sex with someone protected or not, and they knew they had herpes, would you want someone to tell you? And I have yet to meet anybody who has said no. Great point. You know, and it's like, would I necessarily, knowing what I know about herpes, if Somebody came to me and said that they have it. Would I want to be with them? At this point, there are so many medications that you can take. Like somebody can take Valtrex on a daily basis and suppress the herpes virus to the point where it really, it's, there are as, there's asymptomatic shedding. So you still have the virus and you still could technically shed it to someone else and give it to them. Yeah. But it's less than 5% likeliness. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a medical doctor, but from what I know, that's the reality of it. And I also tell people all the time, like, take what you learn here and confirm it with a medical doctor so that you can feel super confident in what you know. Right. But, you know, when you have less of a 5% likelihood of passing it along, you're having sex with people on a consistent basis. You have a, you have another likelihood of getting something else from somebody out there. Right. right. So, like, at least you're being protected and being safe. Totally. So let's move on from herpes for a second. Sure. Oh, wait, there was one thing. Oh, tell me. Okay, sorry about the doggy. But there's, I have doggies, so I'm just, I feel really symptomatic. Aww. Symptomatic. Symptomatic. Oh, herpes. <laughs> I feel really sympathetic for this dog. Um, but there's something that you all should know about herpes, which is that um, viruses in general have a tendency to, to mutate and change over time. And so... Whether or I was talking to a friend of mine who's a doctor, an ER physician, and something that he was seeing in the field was that the herpes virus is actually presenting differently now. Um, It's actually presenting kind of like a rash. And so, you know, it's interesting to hear it from a doctor Mm. um, because, you know, it's interesting when doctors see things, typically they're trained to see something and be like, oh, I know what that is. Right. But doctors are having a harder time being able to diagnose things nowadays because how things are changing and the way the body is changing things. So you can get any kind of sexually transmitted infection, whether you use a condom or not, because condoms are not foolproof. So I think that's also something to be said, you know, not to freak everybody out from having sex. (laughs) And then you all come to my office like, Carly, you ruined my sex life and now I'm here. (laughs) But really, though, you know, I'm a big advocate and and a supporter of the fact that, like, you really need to think before you sleep with someone. And sex can be something so beautiful and so enjoyable and so pleasurable. But you're also putting your body at risk when you do. And so you want to make sure that, like, you're just being the safest that you can be. And when I say that, I mean get tested. Know where your body stands. Know your baseline. Mm -hmm. If you know your baseline and then you start to feel something funky, you at least know where your baseline was. And that's a really important thing. 
Agreed. Do you think that in the future everyone will use condoms or like no one will use condoms? That's a really crazy question. Um, I was just thinking about it when I was peeing before. Like, <laughs> it's so Black Mirror. Like, if do you watch Black Mirror? Yes, I have. If, if I were to make a like an episode that incorporated what we were talking about, it would be if in the future where everyone uses a condom until they become boyfriend and girlfriend, and that's like the incentive. Yeah, no, I actually think it's going to be the opposite. Oh, I, think, it's I the opposite. think that people are because like now there's prep, which is a medication that people are taking to be able to prohibit them or make them less likely from getting H- HIV. Um, there are medications like that now and, and Valtrex to be able to suppress the herpes virus. Like I wonder how many other medications we're going to come out with that can make people less susceptible to being able to contract S- sexually transmitted infections. And if we can take, if it becomes just about a pill where we can take a pill and not get a sexually transmitted infection, why wouldn't people do that? Right. People take birth control on a daily basis to avoid getting pregnant. So if they could take a pill to avoid getting STD. What if and- it was like a shot in your vagina or penis i mean i could see people doing that i would do it i mean you'd have to hold me down but like i'd do it if that meant that i could fully have like totally stress-free worry-free sex let's ask the um the world okay if you could get a shot in your vagina or penis Mm -hmm. to protect you from a iud doesn't do that no right no, IUDs only protect STDs. you from pregnancy. They don't protect from any kind of sexually transmitted infections. Hear that, people? If a girl says, no, it's fine, I have an IUD, she's not telling the truth. Well, she might be fine because of her IUD, and it may, you know, eliminate a lot of the risk because it's a, it has a 99.9% success rate or like a 99.6% success rate of avoiding pregnancy, it doesn't mean that that has anything to do with sexually transmitted infections. Exactly. Uh, I actually, another question I asked recently was, when you put a condom on, is it to prevent STDs or to prevent pregnancy? Both. Right, but what, like, from for that person's preference is more, you know what I mean, is more scary, is more of a threat to them. I think, yeah. And it was so actually, it was STDs that won. Okay. That people are more afraid of. Well, yeah, because nowadays it's like the whole pill thing again. Everybody's on a birth control pill, so nobody's really afraid. And quite frankly, it's not that easy to get pregnant. Yeah. You've got a 24-hour window that you can actually conceive a child. Yeah. 24 hours in a whole month. That's a very small amount of time. So the ability to conceive, you know, sperm can live for up to five days. It can live in a woman for five days or in a person for five days. And it can, you know, fertilize an egg later. But it's not... You know, because of the way that birth control pills work and IUDs work, it suppresses your ovaries. It keeps your ovary from releasing an egg. It it, it suppresses your hormones. And it basically tricks your body into thinking that it's technically already pregnant so that it can't get pregnant. Mm. Um and so you have a very small chance. But it also, you have to take your pill every time. You have to take your pill at the same time every single day. If you don't do that and you are being irresponsible, like... That's how you get pregnant. That's how you get pregnant. It's I have true. I have plenty of friends at this point in life who were on birth control who weren't taking it at the exact same time. Or yeah. huge thing, if you get in an, if you get sick, yeah, and they give you antibiotics and you're taking antibiotics on your birth control pill, it is making it significantly less effective. Huh. So that's it can really actually cause you to get pregnant. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Wait, so that's a really cool thing to talk about. We're, we're, talk, just, we're, we're, si- we're sitting here talking about this 
dog sad sad dog won't stop barking and it's so upset and so i was saying like okay if we complain about the dog though like you never know somebody gonna hit their dog like you don't know what kind of punishment somebody inflicts on their dog and i said to carly i bet you that you know it's the opposite and that she coddles him too much and now when he like when she leaves he's like desperate for her she forced him to be needy Mm -hmm. and i'm saying like as a sex therapist you know a lot of what i do is work on relationships so like did did this person force this dog like people force us, right? And no one can force you to do anything. Right. But there's a lot of manipulation, manipulation. that goes on in relationships. Like if you don't do this, I'll do this. Or right. if you don't love me or you need to call me every single day or you need to be there every single time. And and if you're not there and then it makes people feel so manipulated to have to do these things that you feel like you can't live without somebody. And that's yeah. so dangerous. You had mentioned, we talked briefly about getting pregnant. Yes. Um, and when you came here, you mentioned that you were going through IBF. Yep. Let's hear about it. Let's say the full word. I feel like guys definitely know nothing about it. Um, Mm -hmm. Girls know a little bit, but why would someone go through that and and what is it? So I think like for, you know, for younger, and this is something really important. Somebody recently came to me um, and I'll tell you all about IVF, but this is just a quick thing for guys. Somebody recently came to me. She got engaged recently and... um, And she and her partner were talking about conceiving a child at some point in the future. And this person has a couple of things like endometriosis, similar to like polycystic ovarian syndrome or some other things where it could make it more difficult for you to conceive a child. Mm -hmm. And so she and her fiance like didn't think that they needed to seek out any kind of testing or anything to check to see whether or not it would be a problem for them. And, you know, I'm a big, because of my job, and because of my training, I'm a big advocate in knowledge is power. Yeah. And like what you know gives you leverage. And I think when we turn a blind eye, like not getting tested or not testing our bodies for fertility purposes. And by the way, I just have to stop you there for yeah. a second. Otherwise, I'll forget. That is, I on each episode, I do like what's your favorite like relationship quote or quote about dating. Knowledge is power mm-hmm. is mine. No. Okay. Knowledge is power. Yeah. Knowledge is power in every way, shape, and form. When it comes Mm -hmm. to your health, when it comes to your mental sanity, your physical sanity, what you know about yourself is all your power. That's confidence. And that is part of why therapy is so important. Exactly. And if you don't realize that, it's so... Like, you're the only one who's suffering. And I'm saying that as someone who hated therapy for years and Mm. years. Mm. I never... When I was in my hating therapy mode... I was never this confident. I never knew myself the way that I do now. That's amazing. And no one is a superhero. Everyone, it's okay to ask for help. Absolutely. And everyone is insecure. And everyone is hurting somehow. And everyone has trauma of some kind. And you're not alone for having that. And a big, and I also want to say on that note, because I think this is really important that like, you know, there is an older population of therapists and I don't mean it in the sense of age but I think the clinical training and Mm -hmm. what's become acceptable as a therapist where there is a lot of this preconceived like oh okay tell me how that makes you feel right hmm what's coming up for you right now like if you come into my office we're gonna get into stuff okay we're gonna get into the deep shit I'm going to call you on your bullshit. We're going to talk about stuff and what's really going on in your life. And I'm going to challenge you to take yourself on. Like People come into therapy and they want to complain about everybody else in their life. If they could figure out themselves. Then they wouldn't be complaining about everyone else. Correct. Actually, if everyone could. Right. 
So I think like that's the number one reason why people come to my office in comparison to going to see other people. You know, everybody needs, and it's so important because I am so challenging, A, and B, it's also really important that you find a therapist. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily me, but you find a therapist that like you feel gets you and is pushing you to be a better version of yourself. It, it is about being listened to. Therapy is about being heard, but it's Agreed. also being about, it's also about being challenged and helped to face yourself. And like, I say this in therapy all the time, and I wonder what your thought is on this, yeah. but we all have a monster. Mm-hmm. And so I'm- I a, say we all have a bully. A bully? Yeah. So I think we have a monster. Mm-hmm. And I actually bought my one day, someday child, a big backpack of a monster. One day, someday. My one day, That's someday child. Thing. It's my slogan. I had a, I'm in Brides Magazine in March because I planned my wedding. Oh, congrats. Bef- thanks. Before my wedding was ever even a wedding. And it was my one day, someday. We all book. have. Right. But... My one day, someday binder. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows me for mm-hmm. it. And, and got, did that come true? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every single chapter and tab in my binder came to life. It was amazing. Is R... R. I have an R earring in my ear for Ryan. That's really cute. Because I won't tattoo his name. Don't be stupid enough to do that. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) But you can get an earring. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. I just had a guest on who did tattoo um, someone's name. She's in the process of getting it removed. No way. Well, Um, that crazy ex that I had, the one from when I was younger who was super terrible... He was so fucking crazy and manipulative that some girl actually tattooed his name on her vagina. No. Yup. Oh my God. So, my- oh, and to go back to that story that I was telling you before um, about the guy and the girl who are engaged, like, right. he didn't seem to think that it was really important for the two of them to get any preliminary testing done. About their... About, like, fertility and whether it would be a Why problem. Why didn't he think it was important? Because guys don't... Because it's expensive? Well, A, it's expensive. And many men don't think... That it's really going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, and and because the guy doesn't have to go through the majority of the shots and the protocol that's required for IVF, right? Like, I feel like there's this assumption, a gender-based assumption that, like, oh, we'll figure it out when we get there. Right. But the, the thing that I want all guys to stop and think about, or however you identify, if you want children... And you want to birth or have your partner have your children mm-hmm. or someone in your life have your children. When you turn 30 and you have been on oral contraceptive pills for a long period of time, if you've ever had chlamydia, gonorrhea, or any other kind of infection, if you have polycystic ovarian syndrome or your partner has polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis or adenomyosis or... Um, uterine fibroids or anything that's going on in your reproductive organs it is so important for you to find the the power in the knowledge to go and get tested what's the big deal go and get a semen analysis figure out if your guys can swim so how what's the likelihood that it's the women versus that it's the man Mm. is it 50 50 i don't know that percentage each different each case is different because i've seen or heard or read about you know, a couple fighting, and I, I actually think it was like a historical story, like King Henry the Eighth or something. No way! Like murdered all of his wives for not having a son, but then like he found out it was his sperm, something like that. That's crazy. M- meaning, um, it's just it's not known whether or not it's the women's the woman's fault or the man's fault. So like, okay, so infertility. I'm I, I, for my PhD. I'm actually studying the effects of infertility on sexual esteem. 
And I did a preliminary study and I looked at 98 women and found that people who go through infertility feel worse about themselves as sexual beings, which is really freaking interesting. I'm the first person to be looking at that. So I'm really excited to do that. I would assume that that's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. We would assume that, but because, there's never like, been women, research to prove it. Well, technically, but women are like, I think it was someone that told me like women's women are, are most desired in the ages in which they can uh, reproduce. Interesting. And so from like, an, from like early ages, like let's say like, mm-hmm. you know, in the 1700s. Sure. When a woman couldn't reproduce, like it was like she had nothing because she did have nothing. Right. And I think that's still somewhere deep inside of us, mm. you know? I think the desire to be able to reproduce is something that many people feel. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting where our culture and society are going um, that birthing children and having a child and being a mother and being a father is not becoming, excuse me, is not something that people are feeling so incredibly pressured to do anymore, right. which like kudos to you and to own that is is huge, right? Because there is this societal pressure. Like if you are a person and you have a penis and a vagina, you should be you should be reproducing right. and having children. Like, that's not the truth at all. You I should mean, be able to choose what you want guilty. to do with your body. I, I'm very guilty of that. When a sure. woman tells me she doesn't want to have kids um, and mm. she can, mm. I'm very judgmental. And sure. I'm not even a judgmental person. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it can be triggering. It can certainly be triggering, especially yeah. for someone like, for me. For you, Like, right. for me, who's, I've been so trying annoyed. to get pregnant. Like, right. I have a friend who can literally look at a sperm. Like, she could look at the penis, like, and look at it, and then is pregnant. And the joke is, like, she's actually, she she was ovulating, um, and I can I don't know where we were. We were um, talking about um, how your friend, like, can look at anything. Oh, so again. she can look, so one of my girlfriends, so back to that, okay. So one of my girlfriends can look at sperm or, like, look at a penis and get pregnant. And the funniest part was I was helping her try to figure out when to get pregnant, and she was, like, we tr- and she said to me, it was so interesting, because, like, my husband and I got married in December of 2016, um, and we, I came off birth control the night of the wedding. I was like, fuck it, I'm getting pregnant, right? Because mm-hmm. I knew, and this is really interesting, when I got super sick, and I told you guys about that story with mm-hmm. Ryan, um, right after that I said I have to go back to the doctor. I know my endometriosis is back. Right. Like, you can have it removed, but it doesn't guarantee that you're going to remove all of the tissue, and yeah. the tissue can grow elsewhere. So when I went for my second surgery, you know, the doctor sat, us, sat me down, and she was like, listen, like, you're going to need to have kids early if you want to have children. And I was like, whoa, like, that's a crazy thing to hear at 24 years old and 25 years old. So I sat my boyfriend down at the time, who was Ryan, my husband now, and I was like, all right, do you want to come with me to the doctor? I want you to learn about this. I want you to know what this is. And I can imagine so many girls wouldn't do this, but like, you should, and you should find the power within yourself to find the strength to do it. Quite frankly, if he walks away from you at that point, he's He's not not for you anyway. And... We went to the doctor and the doctor said, listen, like the two of you are very sweet together. Like, I'm so happy that you have each other. But chances are, you know, I want you to know that Carly's going to need to conceive a child earlier in life to be able to avoid infertility issues and having to go through IVF. And so I'll never forget that day we walked out of the office and we were like, we said to the doctor, well, like, how young should we be? And she was like, between 27 and 29. And I was like, that's really young in today's day and age to like have to yeah. conceive a child. And like, I'm. How tw- old were you when she told you that? 25. Mm-hmm. So I was like, whoa, like that's just a lot. Like now I feel a lot of pressure to go and get engaged and get married and like do this whole thing. So 
I, when we, when we left the doctor's office, I sat Ryan down and we were in the back of a yellow cab and I was like, listen, like, I want you to take a full week to think about this. Talk to your parents, talk to your friends, like really think about what this means. Like, I love you. I know that I want to spend my life with you, but I also know that this is a really big commitment to ask of a young man. And like, I'm not trying to make you have to have children at a younger age if that's not really what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I would fully wholeheartedly respect the fact if you want to end this relationship because you're not going to be ready to do that. But where I am in my life, I'm going to need to be with a man who's going to be willing to do that because I do really want to have children. And he was like, leaving you isn't an option. So, and here we are going through IVF together. And like to find someone who's that. How long have you been going through it? So I've been trying to get pregnant since December of 2016. Um, I found out, so because birth control pills suppress your ovaries, oftentimes what's happening is, that's the other thing. Guys will say like, oh, my girlfriend's on birth control. Like when she gets off, she'll be fine. Do you know what I mean? There's this like assumption that she'll get off birth control and be totally fine. Or, you know, the doctor never said she had anything wrong with her reproductively, you know, so. My gynecologist told me that I'd have to be off birth control for at least a year before I could even think about getting pregnant. So you can get off birth control and get pregnant the month you're off. Mm -hmm. You can get off birth control and not get pregnant for a year or two years. So she said that to me specifically because I've been on birth control consistently, consistently since I was 15. Yeah. So, so have I, so was I. And that's because when someone has endometriosis and I was diagnosed at 14, Mm -hmm. when someone has endometriosis, they typically are treated with oral contraceptive pills because it suppresses the estrogen that feeds Mm. the endometriosis. I see. So we like to hold everything back and suppress all the hormones to to prohibit the endometriosis from growing. Mm -hmm. Um, But what happened is because I was on birth control for so long and my ovaries were suppressed, when when we did a vaginal sonogram with an infertility specialist after the doctor told me and Ryan we would need to have kids early, I'm going back in time now, but Um, the doctor really couldn't see my ovaries all that well because they were so suppressed from the oral contraceptive pill. Mm -hmm. So he said, like, it looks like you might have PCOS, but I can't confirm that now. So PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. It basically is where there's many different little little cysts that are on the ovary. And like the classic diagnosis of it is when you have a, a vaginal sonogram and you're looking at your ovaries and it looks like there are pearls. I told my doctor they're Chanel pearls. <laughs> um, I was like, well, my pearls are Chanel because if they're not, I don't have them. Um, so they're Chanel pearls. So, But your ovaries look like they have pearls and they're basically a bunch of little follicles and like cysts that are on your ovaries that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it causes infertility. It causes you to have, you know, your period. If your period isn't every 30 days or every 32, between 28 to 35 days, like you might want to go and get checked for that to mm-hmm. go checked for, to get checked for PCOS because it could very well be that. Um, and so PCOS can cause infertility issues. So um, that led us to when I came off birth control, it took me a really long time um, it took me a really long time to get my period. So it was like three months before I got a period. Oh, wow. And then we kept trying to have sex and whatever. And we found out I ovulated. It was super exciting. We had an ovulation party. Amazing. And my husband and I were like, ovulation, ovulation. <laughs> and then we were doing it like bunnies. And like, they, it is true that when you ovulate, you get this like crazy drive to have sex. Like you yeah. just want to like ravage each other. And it's super enjoyable. Um, and then, you know, we would do that and then it was like month after month where I was just testing negative and then I got really really upset and I went and saw a doctor and she was a really great doctor but 
some it's like anything with healthcare. Like you have to jive with your doctor. Of course. You know, like you've got to understand what your doctor's saying. You have to feel heard and feel respected. And especially with fertility stuff, um, so many women have been saying, and guys, guys have been reaching out to me to be like, my wife is going through this. I'm right. not really sure if I like my wife's doctor or my girlfriend's doctor. Like, what would you say we do? And it's super interesting to see That's that really men are getting involved. I love like, that men are getting kudos involved. Kudos to men getting involved. Totally. Um, but let's get back to IVF. Like, I'm just going to ask you very yes. specific questions. That's fine. So what is IVF? Literally describe it. Is it sure. someone's touching an egg and putting it closer sure. somewhere or further? I literally have no idea. Okay, so IVF is in vitro fertilization. Basically, you go through a process in which you your body produces, normally your body should produce one egg every month where it grows the egg to a certain, it grows the follicle to a certain size. The follicle has an egg inside. The follicle erupts, the egg releases, the egg gets fertilized, you get pregnant. When somebody is going through IVF, they technically cannot have that happen on their own for whatever reason. Um, So what they would do, and there are different protocols and different doctors do it differently. Mm -hmm. But in my case, what they did was I had to give myself injections three, sometimes two times a day, sometimes three times a day. And you give it to yourself in the stomach. It's hormones? Hormones. So they're basically giving you the hormones that your body produces naturally. So it's FS, it's FA, FSH and LH. So it's follicular stimulating hormone mm-hmm. and luteinizing hormone. Mm-hmm. And they're basically giving you these medications to produce more than one follicle on a monthly. So instead of developing wow. only one follicle with one egg, you're developing many different follicles with many different eggs inside. So, so the chances are higher. Correct. Because what they do then is you give yourself these shots for X number of days. It depends on your body, your age, your weight, your situation, your likelihood. Um, and then they go in surgically with a big needle through the vaginal wall into your ovary. They remove all the follicle. They remove all the fluid from the follicles, including the egg. They take the egg out. Then they take your partner's or donated sperm. They fertilize those eggs. Then what they do is they take that fertilized egg, they biopsy it. Mm. Not in all cases, but in most cases, they'll if there's two different types of IVF, right? You can do a you can do a fresh transfer and you can do a frozen transfer. And a biopsy is taking like a piece of it, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they do that. So now, if you do a fresh transfer, there's really no biopsying because a fresh transfer is you're going to take the eggs out, you fertilize them, you basically leave it in a petri dish, you're going to or wherever they leave them. And they're and you let them grow, so they have to grow to blastocyst stage. So you already went through this. You yep. gave them the eggs, and yep. none of them have grown yet. No, they've all grown. So I have twenty two. I so I actually set my clinic record. I, I'm at CCRM New York. Um, my doctor is Dr. Brian Levine, and you know I think that they are God's gift to the world. <laughs> like yeah. they made this process so beautiful for us. Like. It's the most amazing, amazing. process. Wait, and but when you say you have 20, like you have 20 eggs, like they have 20 of your yes, eggs. Yes, they have 20 fertilized like children. Like you could have 20 kids. They 22. can hand them out to anyone. 22. Yeah. yeah, like they have 22 of my kids. But so what, how has that not worked? Well, so up until this point, my husband yeah. and I have been trying to get pregnant. And the whole thing was is that we actually did get pregnant. Um, oh, when a prior doctor from a different practice told me that I had no cho- no chance and I would need IVF. Mm-hmm. And we ended up getting pregnant and I miscarried at four weeks, which was a terrible situation. I'm so sorry to it's hear okay. that. It's okay. I mean, I got through it. But, yeah. you know, it's it's tough and my heart goes out to all people, regardless of where you are in your pregnancy. If you lose something you really, really want in life and you really tried hard for, regardless of what that thing is, it hurts to lose it, right? Yeah. So we got through that. And then I finally said to myself, I can't go through another month 
of like this waiting game and this like constant testing. And then I was also having to take like there are steps that you can do before IVF, mm-hmm. which are really crazy. You can do um, you can do medicines like Clomid and Letrozole where you take medication to make you ovulate and then you give yourself a shot to release the egg and then you have timed intercourse so like you know when you have to have sex and you have sex on schedule or they put you in the stirrups and they insert your partner's Do they say which has which is the most effective out of all the methods? So um, an IUI which is an intrauterine insemination which would come with um, like doing those medicines. Is the most effective one the most expensive one? Yes. So IVF. How expensive are we talking? Okay, so an IUI in New York City is anywhere from seven hundred and thirty dollars to about a thousand dollars, and that's just for an intrauterine insemination. That's with a twenty percent success rate, which is really only about eighteen, give or take, like what your body is like. Mm-hmm. You know what what age you are. Like the older you are, the less likely IUIs are going to work. Um, but IUIs are covered by many insurance companies, so Great. people feel like they need to do IUIs to give it the and chance. That's part of IVF, right? It is, it's, it's a, it's not part of IVF, but it's part of reproductive medicine, Mm -hmm. right? So when you go to an IVF clinic, they may give you the option of doing an IUI, but it's not considered IVF. Right. And then, but it's reproductive technology. And then many times after like a couple of times of an IUI not working, somebody may not want to keep doing that when it doesn't have a high success rate because you also need to give yourself medicine. It's not injected, Mm -hmm. but you're taking medicine that really fucks with your hormones. Like I had never been crazier in my entire life than I was on those medicines. Yeah. And then, you know, once you're done with that, then you go to IVF. IVF is about $20,000 to start, not including about $5,000 worth of medication. Uh, no, for one try. For one egg. It, it, you don't do one egg. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend going to a doctor who wants to only produce, you know, a couple of eggs with you. But some women can only produce a couple of eggs. Yeah. Like, based on your age and your body and the way that your body's producing. Like, some women, even if you're younger, some women just don't have the reserve. So that leads me to, we have two more topics to get through and we're already over an hour because okay. I love this. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Freezing eggs. Yes. Um, you just said some women don't have as many eggs as others. How do I know how many eggs I have? Sure. What if I had to freeze them now and I didn't know because yep. I didn't know how many eggs I had? So I have lots of clients who are around 29, 30 and like in their 30s and I tell young women all the time that if you're concerned and you really definitely want to have a child, I think at any age, but especially over the age of 30, but like at any age, if you want to know, go to your doctor and ask them to test your AMH levels. That's your anti-mullerian hormone. That is a very simple test that you can have done while you're on birth control. It doesn't matter. And it basically tests the quality of the eggs that you have left at that point in your life. So if your AMH levels are normal for your age range, that's great. Sometimes if we find out that your AMH levels are not where they need to be, right, then we then we may say, okay, your AMH levels are really low. Your ovarian reserve is not looking too hot. Right. If you definitely want to have children of your own, it might be something for you to consider so, to freeze your eggs. So I'm 27 now. Sure. When I'm 30- 30, is it going to be that big of a difference in how many eggs are left? Um, it might. Mm-hmm. It might very well be a difference. I mean, it depends on how many eggs you're releasing. If you're releasing eggs, you may still have the same eggs, but they may not be in great shape. Like, mm-hmm. Or they may be in awesome shape. You're not right. going to know. And so I also always recommend, if you've been on birth control for a really long time, it's very important you take a, a medication holiday. Mm. So give yourself a year. Use condoms. Be smart. Like, 
But when when should I do that? Like when I have the person I'm going to be with for the rest of my life, or like now? And when be, and like when you risk feel it? it's when it's when you feel it's right for you. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're somebody who's having lots of sex, and and not just you, I'm saying like in general, mm-hmm. if you're somebody who's having lots of sex and lots of casual sex, like kudos to you and hope you're enjoying it, right? But like it's also about if you're having casual sex with partners like in here and there and it's not that often and you can afford to just I mean like use condoms and like protect yourself right. it may be a great idea for you to come off the pill so if you come off the pill and you get your and it takes you like three months to get your period and then let's say you get your period you know from there every 30 days and everything's looking great you can go to the doctor you can get all the routine tests done you can get your you can get your um, estrogen, your progesterone, your prolactin, everything tested, and it'll be accurate because you're not having any kind of hormones in your body to manipulate your body right. in situation. Then you can get so a really you accurate reading. shouldn't go to get one when you're already, when you're still taking birth control. No. You can okay. get your AMH level AMH. tested to check that your ovarian reserve. Mm-hmm. But as far as looking at what your ovaries really look like and getting an accurate like understanding of what your body is doing and where your body is, you will not be able to know until you're off the pill. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important that, you know, like that couple that I was telling you about, the right. one, right? I said, like, come off the pill. Like, if you know you want to have kids and you know yeah. that there might be issues, like, come off the pill, use condoms, be smart and safe, like... And, and when people say to me, like, but I don't want to use condoms. Like, I just want to be able to have unprotected sex. I'm like, well, how badly do you really want a baby? Right. Right? Like, when it com- when push comes to shove and it comes down to it, like, if because you want to be able to have unprotected sex with your fiancé right now or your partner right now is going to mean that you're going to then get married and then come off the pill and it's going to maybe take you a year to figure out that maybe you have something that's causing infertility and now you're going to have to approach infertility. Like, yeah, it's, it's just I, I think not, if we've learned anything, it's not worth it to not use a condom. Honestly. It's not worth it to not use a condom. It's not worth it to not ask questions. You, your knowledge is your power in life. You need to know things and you need to ask. And if you don't ask, you're not going to know. Yeah. Fact. Our last question for you is, about porn and like what it says about your sex life and sexual health do you think there's a relation um i actually don't really but i'm not you with your Mm -hmm. knowledge um but i've learned from having this podcast that people don't like to watch porn with their partners people like to do that on their own Mm -hmm. um and you know i'm not married but i i can only assume that i probably be i probably won't really want to when i'm married unless he goes away and like i'm horny and masturbating or it depends i mean some people still masturbate i mean people masturbate all the time like masturbation yeah. isn't, isn't i mean i just look at marriage as like he's there i'm going to have sex with him if he's not there, I'll masturbate. Right, unless you, know you want to I mean. kill him. <laughs> and then, it's and then like, masturbate right, to someone else. <laughs> right, and it's like, where is my vibrator? What did you say? Like, leave me alone. Um, but I love my husband. Um, I do, but, like, you're living with somebody. But here's the here's the thing. Okay, and this is, this is really geared, you know, I hate gender stereotypes, but it's really geared very much towards men um, because I have seen a major influx in in um, performance anxiety and erectile mm. dysfunction with young men. Um, and Because they watch porn? Because or? of how much pornography yeah. they're watching and how often they're masturbating. Because it makes their dick jaded? Or well, like, it's... It's like probably a combo of a lot of things, but I feel like also they see this like big raging boner and they're like... 
It's, oh, but it's I'll not. But it's, but it's not even. Some of them have penis envy. Like some of it is like my dick is never going to look that big, and then they feel insecure about their own penis. Right. But some of them, okay, it's like it's they're like, watching so many vaginas, mm. and porn is not made to be realistic. Right. It like, is so saturated. sexually yeah. stimulating. Like it is supposed to make you be able to come in seven minutes. Like would that's that why be, it's only seven minutes. But long. would that be equivalent? <laughs> would that be equivalent to girls? Who like vibrate themselves to death and yes. then they can't have orgasms. Yes. So should we stop masturbating as off like when's the right amount of masturbate? What's the right amount of masturbation? If your masturbation, if if you're if you used to be able to enjoy sex and be able to if you can first of all, if your penis can get hard for masturbation, your penis can get hard for sex. You may need to come in. We can talk about that and figure out what's causing it not to happen. Um, but sometimes we overstimulate our brains, and then it's it's like a chemical addiction, really. Mm. Like we get our bodies addicted to a certain feeling, like the neurotransmitters that present in the brain as a result of watching, like the high level, the high level of dopamine and pleasure hormone that you get from watching pornography. Like that can't be reproduced by some girl that you meet at Acme. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like it just True. can't and because it's just not going to be real like she's not going to show up with like this like really like clean shaved vagina that's like perfectly pink and totally restructured right. like that just ain't happening right. so like it's not and it's also not going to be in your face like when her screaming and moaning like the girl is you know on your computer screen every every right. night so like you just have to be realistic about your expectations yeah. And I think, but by the way, that yeah. girl might be at Acme. You never know. You never know. She oh, might wow. be. Oh my God, wait, that trio stuff—that's like the organic water. Yes. Like it's like flavored organic yes. water, and apparently there's like a strawberry flavor. Exactly, it's birch water, so it's like wow. healthier than anything else you've ever tried. Oh my gosh, you would love it. I'm gonna give you one to take home. Oh my God, I can't wait. Enjoy. There was coconut pineapple and coconut peach pi- mango. Can you believe how exciting? Oh my God, how exciting! And there's only 10 calories. I I'm know. sure you could put the blueberry one into your smoothie and like boom. And wait, then you just drink that. that while you're having sex and call oh it a day. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> um, so for the last few words, let's hear what your best dating advice is, Carly, and then like maybe one like you know quote to live by or to date by like like the knowledge is power one sure so my best piece my best piece of advice to every single one of you whether you're single in a relationship whatever wherever you are whatever you're doing but dating advice um because you still date when you're married um hint hint um <laughs> and that's when you stop dating when you're married is when your marriage starts to, to really struggle so um, never stop so never stop going on dates with each other and making it hot and heavy but my biggest piece of dating advice is be who you are from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like own it. Just own you you're you have your insecurities, we all do. You have your fuck ups, we all do. We've all got that crazy person in our family. We've all got shit going on. There's all going to be issues. Like that doesn't mean someone's not going to like you. Yeah. In fact, quite frankly, I would argue that gives somebody something to relate to. Exactly. And that makes somebody be able to connect to you. And so if you're going to go out there and you're going to fake it and you're going to pretend you're somebody else, nobody's going to be able to relate to that, A. Mm -hmm. B, that's when they're just going to sleep with you and then not speak to you again because you're not realistic, okay? And there's nothing that they can relate to. And I think, you know, when you are – and the the biggest – setback that I see in people all the time is that when you're not yourself from the beginning and you pretend to be somebody else, then 
you may win the guy or girl. You may date them. You may have a relationship with them. But you won't be happy in the end. Forget about that. You're going to end up showing your true colors. Yeah. You're going to, it's going to come out. So you're, you're just torturing yourself by Mm -hmm. avoiding the rejection that's, that should have come much earlier. Exactly. That's only going to come at later point when you're more emotionally invested. And that's self-inflicted fucking torture. That's so that like so be yourself from the beginning. And by the way, being yourself doesn't mean putting all your cards on the table. Correct. Still play fucking games. Like right. not games, but don't like be so desperate and available. Okay, so I, but I, still be yourself. This was brilliant. This was last week in session with a client. I gave them an analogy. I said because I we were talking about this exact thing and this is a guy and he said to me, you know, but like how do I know like because when I put myself out there, then I just get rejected flat out. And I was like, it's relationships and dating is like a dam. Like a dam with water behind it. Mm. If you lift the dam and you're standing right in front of it and you just open the dam and the water comes flying out, you're going to drown and die. Yeah. Like there's no way for you to swim and get out of that because the pressure and and everything that's coming at you is just so much much to handle. But if we lift it slowly and we start to let what's behind that dam out, like, but what's really behind it, you can begin to acclimate, you can learn to tread water, you can learn to swim in it. And then when the water gets really, really high and really, really deep and really, really serious and crazy, you're actually capable of handling that. And so that's what dating is. It's like a dam. If you pull everything up from the beginning and you put it all out there, you're going to drown and you're going to lose. If you take your time to to show what's really behind everything, you'll have success and just be ready for rejection. Take your time. I really, really like that one. And honestly, I'm so nerdy for doing this, but it reminds me of a poem by Shel Silverstein. Do you remember him? Yes. And it's called Masks. I love Masks. And this masks. is like about being yourself. Oh, you know the poem. Well, no, but I just, I'm a big proponent well, of me, like everybody it's wears so masks. Short. It's so short and you will love this. Um, it's like a good thing to read to the future baby. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. She Nothing. had blue skin and so did he. He kept it hid and so did she. They searched for blue their whole life through. They passed right by and never knew. Wow. Because they weren't being themselves. No. So on that note, thank you so much, You're Carly, so for welcome. being here. It was here. such a pleasure doing this. Where can everyone find you for a session or just to follow you on Instagram? Sure. So sex doc Carly. C- uh, I can't, apparently, I can't spell. <laughs> After an hour, it's yeah. hard. S e x d o c c a r l i. So at sex doc Carly, and then you can also go to Carly Blau c a r l i b l a u dot com, where you can find all of my information to smart to save it in your phone. <laughs> to um, you can find all my information there. Great, perfect. Thank you so so much again, of and anyone listening, um, thank you for spending this hour with us. Thank you. Please follow. We met at Acme on Instagram. Write us a review, Acme. and if it's Thank you guys so much again. Thanks, Carly. Awesome. Thank you. Bye.